0: Say thank you so much to our praise team and band just leading us into just a beautiful presence of the spirit that was in here. Amen. If you wouldn't mind just standing for the reading of the words, as you do so, do you want to say it's so good to have Jenna and Tara with us and visiting with us here today. So glad to have you. Amen. We had some other guests. I think it may have slipped out but amen we're Luke chapter 10 and we're going to read beginning in verse 25 and this is one of the most well-known passages of scripture uh, in Bible or at least is a very well-known passage of scripture um, It's a parable that Jesus tells that is sparked sparked by some questions that were asked by a certain lawyer begins here in verse 25. That a certain lawyer stood up and he tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, a neighbor as thyself. And he said, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. And he probably could have just stopped right there And the conversation would have ended He could have moved on But this certain lawyer decided That that was not the end to his questioning And so he says Willing to justify himself And that's never a good idea Being willing to justify yourself But he willing to justify himself Said unto Jesus Who is my neighbor? It's a good question to ask And Jesus answering, as he so often does, did not just give him a straight answer, but instead gave him a story. Jesus said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among the thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, departed, leaving him half dead. By chance, there came down a certain priest that way. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, he came and he looked on him and he passed by on the other side. But there was a certain Samaritan that as he journeyed, he came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. He went to him. He bound up his wounds. He poured in oil and wine. He set him on his own beast and he brought him to an inn. He took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence. And he gave them to the host and he said unto them, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, he that showed mercy on him, and Jesus said, go and do thou likewise. It's a very familiar passage, as I said, a familiar story that's told around the world. This story of the good Samaritan, the one who showed mercy to the one who is in need. The truth that is revealed in this story of the Good Samaritan, it, I believe, ought to compel us today to fulfill that purpose. It ought to compel us to love no matter the inconvenience or the sacrifice that is required. It ought to compel us that believe that this is the truth that God would speak to us today. And truth ought to compel us to action. It's not to seek convenience, but to seek purpose. To seek fulfillment of His kingdom and the purpose that He has called us to today in His kingdom. And I wonder if you could, just one more time, I know we've had a service full of prayer, but let's just one more time let our Bibles down lift up your hands. And I just want to say a prayer over this word here today that it could register in our minds and our hearts way that I believe God wants it to today Lord in Jesus name I pray Lord that you would help us Lord that just for these next few moments we can at least lock in Lord that the distractions Lord that they would be behind us beside us Lord to get rid of it Lord so that we can allow you Lord to begin to penetrate in our hearts and minds Lord so that we can go and be uh, be actionable Lord in in the calling that you have called us to today Lord I pray that you would just begin Lord to, uh, to to work in us Lord, the the calling in Jesus name, Lord, as you see fit in Jesus name, amen, amen. You can be seated here today. And I'll be honest that this, uh, the title for my message today is a title that I have used before and it's, it's not that you can't reuse titles, but especially a title like This one, I don't know, perhaps you might remember it, but I could not get this out of my mind. And so I'm titling this the same. It's been a couple of years since I preached it. But today I do want to preach, like a good neighbor, the church should be there. Like a good neighbor, the church should be there. No I don't know, maybe you know that jingle, that even as I just say those words, you hear the jingle that uh, is, comes along with the phrase. Maybe you didn't know that that jingle was written way back in 1971 by one Mr. Barry Manilow wrote that jingle for State Farm, like a good neighbor. That's right, State Farm, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. St. Farm, as a company, they insure people against car accidents and natural disasters, floods, tornadoes, health events, and whatever other misfortunes befall individuals and companies. And they promise to stand by you in your time of need, just like a good neighbor. It was three, or, no, it's much longer than that ago, um, I'm trying to think how long it's been since I uh, lived in, in my my house, that I last house that I rented. It had to have been it's, uh, probably eight or nine years ago that I was living in a farmhouse that we were renting. And one morning as I pulled out of my driveway, I made a left turn down Island Chapel Road. I made it only past the cornfield that was beside our house and one of our neighbor's houses. And when all of a sudden I heard a crack underneath me and immediately I knew that something was wrong with my silver Dodge caliber. So I pressed on the brake. I tried to turn and while the brakes worked, the turning didn't go so well. I immediately came to a halt on that hilly country road and I walked out to the front of my car and I said, well, that's not good because one tire is pointed in It's turned, but the other tire is also pointed in. And it's never good when both tires are pointed in. And especially if I am trying to go straight or even trying to turn. And so I knew on that hilly country road that I better get my car off of the middle of the road before some car came over a hill and ran right into me. And so I did whatever I could and kicked that tire and Hit it and did everything that I could to get the one tire, which with the broken tie rod to turn so that I could get this into my neighbor's driveway that was right there. And so I did finally get my car into my neighbor's driveway. And this is the first time that I had, uh, that I had met or that I would meet my neighbor would be on this day. Here I was, uh, with my limited YouTube level of, uh, of mechanics. That um, really uh, was not even a deep dive into YouTube because you can learn a lot on YouTube. But uh, for, for me, I all I knew was the tie rod was broken, and the reason I knew that is because this wasn't the first time on that car that the tie rod had broken. But here I was, and I was in my neighbor's driveway, and he came out, and I was very thankful for a neighbor on that day—a good neighbor. Because he came out with his toolkit and he said, Hey, do you need just a little bit of help? And I said, I have no, I really don't know what I'm doing today. And he said, Well, the good thing is I've, I've done this before. And so I'm very thankful for somebody who's done it before. I'm thankful for somebody who is a good neighbor, who's willing to help you when you have no idea what you're doing. And so my neighbor, he was an elderly gentleman, retired uh, retirement age. And, uh, he had the day, he said, you know what, if you have another vehicle, if you want to just leave this here today, uh, you can do that. And, uh, he said, we can make sure that we get it fixed. And uh, I just went back down to my house, got another ride and was able to get off to work. And I was very thankful on that day for a neighbor, but by the time I got back, he was able to help me get my car back in working order. And, you know, there's just something about having good neighbors. And I don't know that, to, you know, today that we quite have neighbors or we are quite as neighborly as as we were in bygone eras. But uh, I, I know and I, and I appreciate the post that uh, Brother Stokely will, will share sometimes on Facebook about the neighborhood that he moved, he and Sister Jackie moved into a couple of years ago about... Uh, never before had they experienced anything like the good neighbors of their community that they live in there on Royer Lake and they lived all their life over in Elkhart area and, and now you have people who'll just stop by they'll drop things just to be there to help you and you know the question becomes you know who is who's is my neighbor for uh for me my neighbor now where i live uh, might be the ones who are cross the street from me, or maybe even the ones who I share a fence with in the back, uh, who have the uh, the two Great Danes that jump about a mile high into the air. Probably could clear that fence if they wanted to. Um, they're, they're great neighbors. Uh, but I have, I have a lot of people living in the subdivision and, and neighbors. But growing up, if you'd ask my dad, who's your neighbor? Well, he might say, Mr. Leaders, who The leaders' family, you know, lives across the street, and you have the Tracy family and the other Tracy family that are about across the street. Now you have my cousin, uh, Brett, who who lives right there, but it also might be the neighbors that are the Perkins that live just down the street. And go a little further, and you might get to the Terrys, and I don't know, you probably could even go down to the Gunthorpes, and uh, I mean, they're like a couple miles away. Um, they, they have a very famous neighbor now. They didn't even know about him, but uh, Gary Turner, the golden bachelor, uh, I think he lived about, uh, you know, just a couple of miles away from them. And so you have, you have all these neighbors that are there. It's, you know, the, the neighbors, when you, it, it extends out all of them. If you ask my dad, they're, they're his neighbor. And so the question still is today, who is my neighbor? How do I define who my neighbor is? And I got to tell you that how we, uh, what our motives are and what we, uh, what we truly um, believe about the commission of Jesus Christ, the great commission, it will distort our view of who is my neighbor. It, it'll put a lens on who is my neighbor and what is my responsibility for who my neighbor is. Because if we're not careful, the only neighbors that we think that we owe anything to are the ones who are sitting right next to you in this building right here. Come on, if we're not if we're not careful, the only ones that we are going to go out of our way to help or the only ones that we're willing to go into invest. Our lives and them are the ones who they themselves saw the need to dawn or to to darken the doors of this place and to to come in here. Maybe it's somebody who you've never met before, but but at least they made the effort to show up to church. And if we're not careful, we can fall into this pattern of being a an attractional church that has good services And we tell people, you ought to come to my church. You ought to be at my church because when you get to the church, something happens there. When you get to the church, there's amazing things that happen. And in fact, if you come to church, maybe we can even hang out afterwards. If you come to church, maybe we can even begin to... Get to know each other. Mm, We're not... Ah, I know I'm stepping on some toes here today. I know the Lord is ministering in this place before to our own needs. But we've got some things in us that we need to make sure that we get the priorities right. Of who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Because if you ask Jesus... Jesus didn't say the neighbor was the one who went into the temple and met the priest. The neighbor wasn't even the beggar who was, who was there and asking the one on his way to prayer for money, but the neighbor was the one who was laying there half dead and didn't even have a breath. You know, he he looked as if he didn't have a chance, but it just so happened that the Samaritan came upon him and said, Here's somebody that's worth investing in. I don't even know what all I have to give, but I'm going to give him what I have. I can bind up his wounds. And maybe here today you say, well, I don't even know how to bind up wounds. Jesus does, though. Jesus does. Jesus knows how to bind the wounds. The Spirit of God knows how to bind the wounds. And if you have His Spirit, you have all that you need in order to minister to those who are broken and those who are down and out. I'm looking for some neighbors here this morning. I'm looking for some neighbors who will go out into the highways and the byways and to to look for somebody who is laying there half dead on the road. And they don't have any Purpose, they don't have any, any chance at, at getting back up themselves. But we say, let what, well, such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ. I know I'm mixing stories here, but in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. I don't have much, but I do have an animal here that I can put you on, that I can bring you to the one who can. Mend your wounds. Hmm. See, here he was. This man that Jesus says, there's this, this man. and doesn't really give any descriptive terms. And I believe that was intentional on Jesus's part. Essentially, he's saying that any man. It's just a certain man. It, it could be anybody. No qualifying condition. No no conditional terms are used to describe him. He's just simply a traveler that's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. We don't know if he's from Jerusalem or if he's from Jericho. All we know is he's passing between those two cities. He's traveling on this road between Jerusalem and Jericho. He's on a journey. And it was known in that day that that particular stretch of road was a very dangerous stretch of road. And so this this story, it, it applied. It made sense in their mind. They understood the context that Jesus was talking about And he says, on this journey, the thieves, they attacked him. They robbed him. They beat him. They left him half dead. And here's this man. He's suffering and he's dying. And there comes a priest and a Levite, two individuals who represent this religious hierarchy of that day. They were officials that were there in the temple. And Jesus emphatically states that they see him, but they pass him by or pass by on the other side. That They are aware of the need, but they don't stop to give the help. Commentary suggests that maybe there were various excuses that they could have used to justify their actions you know, of, of passing him by. That perhaps the law forbid them to stop and to help this man who was, who was hurting or appeared to be dead. As officers in the temple, they were not to, t- to touch any dead, uh, any dead thing. So, so they did not want to be contaminated or unholy because of this man's condition. Maybe they use their religious responsibilities, their their busy agenda at the temple on that day for their inability to respond. But whatever the case, it is obvious that in this parable, Jesus was revealing the worst kind of hypocrisy. That those who claim to be the servants of God and yet do not have time to fulfill the most basic of religious responsibilities to help the hurting and to minister to the broken are hypocrites, and so Jesus continues on, and he shatters their delicate worldview on that day. He introduces someone into this into the story that they despise. He's attacking their prejudices and their preconceptions of who is good and who is bad and, and you know for between the Jews and the Samaritans they have all these kinds of barriers and social barriers religious barriers and racial barriers these things that that they did not like each other and so he says that there was this Samaritan and as he journeyed he saw him he recognized the need that the man that this man had and so he goes and he, he Goes to the man who's hurting. And it didn't take a doctor to understand that this man was hurting. And so he went to him. He was in pain. He's in need. And he sees this need. And he's moved with compassion. And he stops his journey. He interrupts his day. And he goes to him. He sets aside whatever agenda it was that he had for that day. And he begins to bind up this man's wounds. And to to take care of him. And he, he has to get his hands dirty in order to do this. He has to pour in his own oil and his own wine to to care for the wounds that are there, and he places him on his own animal. He takes him to a local inn, and he tells the innkeeper there, uh, "Would you take care of him?" And it's with his own money that he pays for this this man to be taken care of. See, what I'm trying to get at is that it was not convenient for the Samaritan, but it was necessary. It was not on his schedule that day, but there was someone in need. There was someone that needed help, and he had an opportunity to help them. Watch this. The Bible says the next day, he said, spend the night, take care of him. I'll pay you back whatever is owed, whatever is owed. However long he needs to stay, I'll make sure that you are paid back. It it, it doesn't matter what the expense is I am going to pay for this now i don't want to draw a one to one comparison i, I... I know that not everyone here can financially support helping everybody who comes to them with a need. This is not the purpose of what Jesus is trying to say. It's not about the financial support. It's not even always about uh, about helping the, the individual who tripped and fell. And it's, it's not all about that. But it is about seeing a need and being a person who says that I need to show Jesus Christ to somebody who is down and out. And there is a whole whole generation of people right now who they need to hear and to see the love of Jesus Christ displayed through the church being a good neighbor so who qualifies as the good neighbor the lawyer the one who was asking the question he said it's the one who helped it's the one who ministered Jesus said, You're right. Now you need to be the neighbor to everyone that you come in contact with. You don't need to look and say, Who's my neighbor? Who is it out there that that I can you know have walls and I don't have to go to them? Who is it that I'm exempt from reaching? worries me when we as a church uh, have great service after great service, but it's not about somebody new getting the Holy Ghost. And it's not somebody it's been some time since somebody's been baptized. And we're not seeing new disciples being made and well, this is this is today it's it's not about be, beating us up over this but it's uh, there's there's got to be a drive in us about not it's it's not good enough for this to just be us here and for us to have a bunch of holy ghost parties in this house it can't be about just a bunch of holy ghost parties that we have when we gather together we need to get the lost and the broken and the hurting to Jesus And that doesn't always happen in the house. And I understand that we don't always get to see the fruit of that labor. But there ought to be some fruit of the labor of somebody. And the only way for them to truly be lost, or for for somebody who is lost, to be broken and to be healed is not just a good conversation though that's where it starts it's not just about good fellowship though that's where it starts but it is about them coming into contact with jesus and for them to have their sins washed away and to have the spirit to renew them so they can be baptized in the holy ghost that is the culmination of a good neighbor who introduces somebody to jesus And we, as a church, need for that to be first and foremost in everything that we do. That needs to be our driving force of how do I reach my world? And I know we probably get sick of it about hearing about ev- evangelism, evangelism. It's, it's about reaching the world. But what else are we here for? That is the purpose of the church. That is the purpose of the church is for us to fulfill the commission of Jesus Christ. To go into all the world. To preach the gospel. To compel them to come in. That is why we are here. I'm here to give God glory, but His purpose, why He came to the world was to reach a lost and broken world. And now He left that responsibility to the church. And so we need to wake up and we need to realize I play a part in this. I play a part in this. Come on, I've got to go and to be neighborly to somebody. There's those who are hurting and lost and broken right now. And compassion is going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. Discipleship will cost you something. It's not good enough just to be a disciple. We need to make disciples. We are first called to be the disciple. But as a disciple, the expectation is that you make disciples. Mm. The truth is, we are surrounded today by the hurting and the broken and the lost. And we have the answer to a broken heart. We have the answer, the same answer that's being looked for at the bottom of the alcohol the bottle of alcohol it's the same thing that they're looking for in those drugs that they're injecting into their arms Is the same thing well, they're looking for the answer to all of life's problems in, in, in relationships but we have the answer today and the compassion ought to compel us to tell them to come to Jesus let me tell you about Jesus let me tell you about Jesus it's in Matthew 25 that Jesus is describing what's, he's describing the final judgment. He says in verse 34, <coughs> says, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, you clothed me, I was sick. And you visited me, I was a prison, and you came to me. Then shall the righteous answer him and say, Lord, when did I see you hungry? When, when did I see you thirsty? When did I see you as a stranger naked? When, when did I see you as sick or as in prison? The king said, the king shall answer and say to him, Verily I say to you, inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren. You have done it unto me. So read that passage, the conviction ought to begin to settle in. As we ask ourselves, how many times have I missed an opportunity to serve Jesus? How many times have I been unaware that he was right there in my presence? Because there was a need, there was an opportunity for me to minister. And I missed it because it was too inconvenient to express compassion in that moment. See, convenience, convenience is the enemy of Going and doing the will of God. Convenience is that worldly carnal pursuit of ease that's become our enemy's battle cry in this war that we have for the modern soul. We are in a pursuit for ease and convenience today. Nothing is fast enough, nothing's quite easy enough. We're look for ways to make things easier and easier. We term things modern conveniences and really modern conveniences basically means, you know, whatever it is that I could be the most comfortable. I'm not preaching against modern conveniences today because I'm thankful for gasoline powered cars and I'm thankful for the air conditioning that's in this room right now. I'm thankful for indoor plumbing, electricity, all of that. I'm thankful. Thank God for all of that. But you know what? We can live without them. It is possible. No, it seems impossible, but we could live without those things. We've been blessed. We're blessed today. But they make so many things accessible to us that were not accessible even to the wealthiest people in the world just 100 or even 50 years ago. They save us time. They save us energy. They save us money. So the problem is not the conveniences themselves, but it is what we do with them. Let these modern conveniences make it more convenient for you to fulfill His purpose and to have a greater influence and to make a difference in His kingdom. I truly believe that when He says that in the last days that the greater things than these shall ye do, it's part in part because of what of what we have available today. That in a greater scope today. We are going to have a greater revival. When I when I hear about. when In fact we're getting ready to have. General conference this week. They're going to live stream general conference. And it's. I'll, I'll just say it. I like, because I, I know it happens every single year. That as they're live streaming those services. There's people uh, that are watching those services. And they're filled with the Holy Ghost. Right there in the bedroom. They're filled with the Holy Ghost. Right right where they're at. There, there's, there's revivals that that are taking place over, over the internet. There's, there's things that are happening. And, and I don't think that, that that's to, uh, to, to replace, to replace anything else. But, but we can see a greater capacity of things that are taking place today because of modern conveniences. And I, I know I got to wrap this up here shortly, but, but today we, we cannot allow the modern conveniences of, of today to cause us to just sit back And to not engage in the purpose of what God put us here for. But instead, let's, let's pursue the call of God on our life. And if it it means using the conveniences of today, if it means using your car that you are blessed with to pick somebody up to just to to take them to be baptized in Jesus name or to just go to coffee with them so that you can get to know them and have a conversation about Jesus, well then let's use it to fulfill the calling of God. We cannot. We cannot allow the inconvenience of sharing the gospel to stop us from pursuing the call of God. Mm. It may be inc- an inconvenient truth shared with an inconvenient neighbor at an inconvenient time, but there is something that compels us to go down, to go to the down and out. It compels us to go to the hurting and the broken and the lost and to share the truth with them. If you want to be a good neighbor, then you need to be there in their time of need. You need to be there to share with them the message of the gospel. You have a calling today. We stand all around this place. You have a calling on your life. You're a messenger of peace. You're a messenger of the gospel. You've been equipped with everything that you need. In fact, God has called you, He has called you to go and to baptize. He's called you to lay hands on somebody so that they could be healed. He's called you to lay hands on somebody as they are ready to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost in that Holy Ghost sweeps into that place into that coffee shop where you're at and all of a sudden they're filled with the Spirit of God there's college campuses all around the United States right now that are seeing a move of God in them because of a couple of young people who are going in and starting campus ministries and they're saying that it doesn't have to be the next generation but but I have what it takes to go and to set my world on fire There are workplaces that are being changed and transformed because of people who are saying, I need to tell somebody about Jesus. And let's let that be here. Let's let that be here. I know it's inconvenient, um, but could we allow the inconvenience of God, the inconvenience of, all of what, he, what He has done for us, And what he is compelling us to do, to truly be something that would drive us to reach the lost. Is there anybody here today who wants to be a good neighbor? Is there anybody anybody here today who wants to embrace the commission, the great commission? Here's what I'm talking about. Walking around with open ears to hear the cry of someone who is desperate for a conversation with someone anyone it's having open eyes that scan the office or maybe it's even your church pew for that family that's been missing instead of just wondering where they've been you call them up or you drive to their house and you deliver a bag of groceries it's visiting that, that widow who lives down the street from you and forming a friendship with her maybe visiting, visiting that veteran who's suffering from PTSD and finding some common ground perhaps with a fishing pole in your hands it's inviting them to your house or to a coffee shop or a donut shop before you ever invite them to church it's forming relationships with people who are different from you and learning from them learning how to relate to them and talk with them rather than than talking to them it's key it's not being afraid to say a word of prayer for them before you leave and asking if there's anything else that you can do see none of this is convenient but it's what a good neighbor will do it's in essence what the good Samaritan did your neighbor may not be lying down lying face down on the road on the way to Jericho Half dead, but they may be dead inside. You have no idea. Their home life may be a wreck right now. They're searching for an answer. And here's the key. You have the answer. So what are you going to do about it? This compels you today. If you want to just slip a hand up into the air. If you want to come to an altar. I invite you to do so. I know the Lord's already moved in this place in a mighty way. Amen. But there's a compelling force right now to say we need to reach this world. We need to make a dent in hell's trophies. We need to make a dent on in our communities. We need, to, we need to reach the lost today. Will you be there for them? Or are you going to be like the Levite and the priest who they turn by and they walk away on the other side? Jesus, let me run to them. God, let me hear your voice. God, let me be compelled by the lost. And I pray that you would put something in us, Lord, that would just have a burden and a hunger, Lord, to see lost souls saved. Jesus, Lord, let us be a church who's always reaching out, not just reaching in. Oh, help us. Lord, help us, Lord.